It's a blessing to be in a church that's filled with so many great leaders, so much amazing uh, ability that we get a chance to pull all of our talent, our energy, our time, and essentially say, Lord, here we are, use us. Amen? We know scripturally that we, we think of that individually, here I am, use me. But we all know, if you've, ever, if you've ever been part of a team, you know that team is always better than me, right? They always say there's no I in team, which means when we come together and collectively come together and say, Lord, use our gifts, use our talents, it's dangerous to the enemy when there's a church that's united, that's excited, when there's a church that says, Lord, we want to throw everything that we have into the mix, whether it be musical ability, whether it be leadership, service, you name it, we put that all together and we could do some damage against the enemy in the kingdom of God. Amen? We all need to be reminded that Sunday mornings, you may ask yourself, why is it that we come together to worship on Sundays? And I know recently we did a, a series where we were discussing the significance, the beauty, and the importance of church. But one of the reasons that we come together on Sunday morning, yes, we are fed with the Word of God. I'm excited about that this morning. We're going to go to Matthew, so go ahead and open there. Yes, we are filled with the Word of God, but we also come here to recharge, right? We come here to recharge. Many of us, just about all of us, have some kind of electronic device, and you know that it, it's a great uh, addition to your uh, productivity uh, throughout your functionality throughout the day, but your device is no good if it's not charged up, right? And so we need to be charged up by being plugged into God, plugged into the Holy Spirit, plugged into the body of Christ. Raise your hand if you've ever come to the, the house of God and you left encouraged because of either a conversation with somebody or because you saw somebody that God is doing a work in and it has encouraged you uh, in turn. Amen? I think that's just about all of us. So we come together on Sundays to be fed, we come together to plug in to the Lord, to plug in to community, and we come together to receive our instruction, just like a team would right before they're getting out to go play a game. We come together to look to our coach, who is Jesus Christ, and we say, what's the game plan? And Jesus gives us the game plan, amen? So today we're going to continue following on that track. We're going to get on the game plan of Jesus by studying his words. And we have been uh, studying a series through the, Beat or through the Sermon on the Mount. We started with the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And then we've continued forward. So go ahead and open with me to Matthew 5. And I'm just going to do a brief recap and summary of the sections within Matthew 5 that we've already covered. And then we are going to cover the remainder of the chapter of Matthew chapter 5 this morning. And that's going to be what we'll be focusing on. Amen? So the first part of Matthew 5, we looked at the Beatitudes, which is when Jesus was talking about blessed, blessed are, right? Blessed are the, the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. We remember that a few weeks ago, we brought this topic up because the, the people of that day in the first century felt that in order to really be blessed, you had to have all the stuff. You had to be in great health. You had to have all these things working together that were putting you in a place where you could experience, quote unquote, happiness. But Jesus was saying, you are blessed as long as you know that God is with you no matter what you go through. No matter how much or how little you have, if God is on your side, you're going to be all right. Amen? So Jesus was reminding them, do not get caught up on your definition of blessedness based on what you have or don't have. Allow your definition of blessedness to be whether or not you believe and feel the presence of God with you wherever you go, whatever you're going through. And so Jesus kicked off this fantastic three-chapter-long sermon by saying, 
Blessed are those who didn't think they were blessed. And guess what? God gets to use us as the body of Christ to be a reminder to those right now who don't know that they're blessed. God could use you to give a word of encouragement to somebody who's down and out and going through a valley. And God will put, a, put them on your heart and you pray for them and you could reach out to them. And God could use you, which takes us to the next section of Matthew 5 when he says, you are salt and light. He says, you're the salt of the earth, church. What does that mean? He says, you're going to give flavor to the world, right? Amen. Mission Ebenezer is definitely salt. We got a lot of flavor over here. All kinds of flavors. When we do our mission festival, all the flavors come out, man. Soul food, pupusas, tacos, venudo, pozole, champurado. We got a lot of flavor at this church, right? We got island food that comes out of here, right? And, but Jesus isn't just talking about food. He's saying your life, your essence, your love for God, you begin to give salt and seasoning and flavor to your neighborhoods, to your work, to your schools. Wherever it is that you go, you are bringing life. You are, you are, you are working against the decay of the enemy, right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come to give you abundant life. And so he says, you are salt, and you're going to go out and, and multiply that salt so that this world that is decaying can be preserved by the presence of Jesus. So you are salt. And he says, and you're light of the world. Jesus uses the analogy. He says, who would light a lamp and then hide it? That don't make sense, right? That's a waste of fuel. That's a waste of electricity if you put a light on and then put a blanket over it, right? First of all, you probably start a fire, okay? Jesus says, you're the light of the world. He says, then, then make sure that those who are living in darkness have an opportunity to reference the light that God has put in your heart. So don't hide it, amen? Let your joy for the Lord shine. Let your love for God shine. Let your compassion for the world shine. Let your service and your ministry shine. Do not hide the light that God has put in your heart. Amen? Did you know that every once in a while, the, the light of God can just come through by, by smiling because we live in a world right now that is uh, deficient in smiles? Everybody's angry all the time, even the Christians. You know, and even if they're not angry, they look angry, right? They got a mad dog look. Hey, hey how you doing, man? On a scale of one to ten, how happy are you? I'm a ten. Then why you look like you want to kill somebody right now? Just smile. It's all right, okay? Unless you, unless you have a, a problem with trying to, to make your, your face match your emotion, but just sometimes it's good to just throw a smile on there. I, I was laughing at myself yesterday because I, I got a, a Father's Day gift that I just used for the first time. And it, uh, my mother-in-law, she always gives me good gifts. So just a reminder to all the single brothers out there, when you're looking for a wife, don't just pay attention to the girl, but look, look what her mom is like, okay? All right, just giving you some tips, just giving you some tips, okay? Because I, I scored, right? So my mother-in-law always hooks me up. And so for Father's Day, she hooked me up with a pressure washer. Which, which has been boxed up since Father's Day. And Dre has been hinting like, oh, yeah, I really want to try the pressure washer on this thing. And I'm like, yeah, 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 we'll get to it. But it's just been in the box. So yesterday, finally, I broke it open, right? Because I never had a pressure washer before. I just used, like, the, the broom and, like, the water hose, right? Nowadays, they got all kinds of amazing nozzles on water hoses. You guys know what I'm talking about? Remember when you were a kid or you were younger and you had to put your thumb in the middle of the water hose to make it spray? And then afterward, you got a cramp on your hand because you were watering the grass. Like, why is your hand like that? I had to water the whole grass, man. You got to ice my thumb now. But now you got a nozzle for everything. So I'm just used to my, my, my water hose. And so I busted out the, the power 
uh, the pressure washer yesterday, and I was having so much fun with that thing, like getting like 30-year-old gum off of the concrete and all the scum. You could just like put it in the ground, all of a sudden you get like a, a clean white spot, and like it just reminds you how dirty the rest of it is, right? And I was having so much fun, I caught myself smiling yesterday. I was like, my neighbors probably think I'm weird, man. I'm over here smiling, washing my, my, my driveway. All that to say is, it's all right to put on a smile, church. Amen. Amen? Especially in the day and age that we live in, everybody's got a reason to be mad. But I want you to be able to give somebody a reason to be happy. Amen? Do you have to have everything to be happy? Does everything need to be going your way to be, to be joyful? No, joy of the Lord comes from a deep place. In fact, the word of God says the joy of the Lord is my strength, right? So if you're, if you're waiting for something to give you strength, well, then, the, then kick it off by tapping into the joy of the Lord. Amen? So, so Jesus teaching them, he says, you're the salt and you're the light. Okay, and then last week we, we started to look at uh, his teaching on the law and the prophets. Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy the law and the prophets. And that's what we're going to get into today and talk a little bit about these last few sections in Matthew chapter 5. But I want you just for a moment before we start reading and diving into the, the passage for today. Is it all right if we just journey with Jesus for a little bit? Is that cool? All right. Do you like to imagine church? I don't know about you, but I like imagining, right? I don't know why. I don't know if it's like growing up and listening to my dad's stories, whether they were stories from the pulpit or stories at home. But there's something about an imagination that allows us to place ourselves in a particular locale and time and space. So I want you to journey with me for a moment. Imagine that we are actually part of this number that Jesus says, come up a little bit closer so that I can begin teaching you what the kingdom of God is all about. Wouldn't it be awesome to be in that crowd that day? Right. And again, like we said, some scholars believe this wasn't just a one day long sermon, but it happened over a period of time and that Jesus was teaching. Beautiful teaching location right up on a hilltop next to Capernaum, overlooking the Sea of Galilee, right across from the city called Tiberias, which is the city that he referred to when he said a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Imagine that we're right there in that location on a Sunday morning and we're listening to Jesus teach. Wouldn't that be cool? I know some of us in here would be like at the back of the crowd, just like, yeah, you know, I'll just sit back here and see what happens. Others of you would be pushing people out of the way so you can get a front row seat to listen to Jesus, right? And we talked about this last time, but some of you are like, wait, you said we had to climb up a hill for this? I'm just going to follow online. I'll go Facebook Live on this one. It was probably the, the disciple John who was the one videotaping since he was the youngest, so he knew technology, right? Peter was like, nah, man, I don't do technology. So here we are. We're with Jesus. We're with the disciples. We're following him. We're listening to him teach. And again, I'm just going to backtrack to verse 17 briefly before we start looking at the next few sections. But Jesus says, do not think, in verse 17 of chapter 5, that I have come to abolish abolish the law or the prophets i have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them somebody say fulfill so jesus is teaching them this because some of them started to complain and talk to the priests and to the scribes and say hey have you heard about this carpenter guy named jesus who recruited this ragtag group of fishermen and others who were you know hang out with sinners all the time have you heard what he's been teaching people because he's teaching against the law so Jesus wanted to stop that and nip that in the bud by telling them, I am not here to do away with the law. 
In fact, what Jesus is explaining, and we're going to look at it uh, today in these passages, he says, what the problem is, is that you all have been thinking you've been following the law, but in reality, you've created for yourself a checklist of things that you think you're supposed to do and not do, and somehow you think you could be right in the will of God just by following that checklist. Jesus says it doesn't work like that. You need the guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. Amen? So even as we think about that today, we, we as Christians sometimes have this list of things that we think we need to do or don't do. And as long as we do or don't do those things, we're going to be right with God. But how many of us know that we can never mindlessly follow God in where he's leading us in the direction for our lives? Our minds and our hearts have to be plugged in every single time. We cannot get around or substitute for the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our life. Because people will say, well, you know, I never murdered anybody, so I guess I'm fine. Right? I guess I'm all right with God. I never committed adultery, so I guess I must be okay. I've never done this, or I've never done that, so I must be all right. And what Jesus goes on to teach in these passages is saying, hey, it's not enough to look at a law that was created hundreds of years ago and think that just because you're not doing certain things or you are doing certain things that you're all right. Jesus says you need the Holy Spirit to guide you so that we can not just fulfill a law, but the spirit of the law. So he says, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have come uh, to fulfill them. So go ahead and go over to verse 21. And we have a number of sections here. In fact, if you have your Bible or even your electronic Bible, you may see that these sections are broken up by titles because Jesus is talking about different topics. So really briefly, I want us to look at the topics that he's addressing in Matthew 5 as he teaches these, these crowds. He teaches about murder. He teaches about adultery. He teaches about divorce. He teaches about oaths. He teaches about an eye for an eye. And he teaches about love for enemies. And throughout this entire teaching, he's referencing the law. What is the law, you might ask? The law refers to the Ten Commandments. So Jesus is saying, hey, many of you have felt like you're in the clear because you've done all the things that the Ten Commandments, or you haven't done what the Ten Commandments said that you shouldn't do. Jesus says, but let me introduce you to another level. Somebody say another level. Another level of obedience to God is to be guided by the Holy Spirit, right? Let me give you a little uh, example of what I mean by that. I was talking, my kids are, you know, of the age where, for them, it's really difficult to live with gray. Everything needs to be black and white, right? Crystal clear. Um, so when I'm driving, especially, they remind me of the fact that I'm breaking laws when I drive, right? Um, Dad, you didn't, turn your, uh, you didn't use your uh, turning signal that time, Dad, right? Or, uh, Dad, that yellow light was there for a little while. You should have stopped there. Like, thank you for the reminder, backseat drivers, right? All of you. Uh, they like to remind me of when I'm wrong, right? Because I'm dad, and of course, you know, uh, we're always correcting them. So they're like, this is an opportunity to, to, to kind of turn the tables on you and remind you of when you're wrong, right? But I've had to break the law in driving in order to accomplish a purpose that is actually going towards safety. Let me give you an example, right? There was an ambulance that was coming through one time, and I was parked at the front waiting for the light to turn green. Um, and so as the ambulance was coming, there was too, so many cars lined up that they weren't going to be able to get around. So what I did was I maneuvered into the crosswalk, and I blocked the lane next to me so that the ambulance had a, a track to go. When they went by, they gave me a thumbs up, right? The thumbs up they were giving me was saying, you broke the law, but you did the right thing. You understand? 
I broke the law, right? Technically, I could get a ticket for that, but that was the safest decision in that moment. So if all I do is think about the law, but I'm not thinking about my surroundings, where I am, what I'm doing, who it impacts, sometimes we, we try so hard to keep the law that we work against it if we're not guided by the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus begins to teach, and he says, okay, let's talk about a few things. Verse 21, he says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, and he's referring to the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But then Jesus brings in a new element that they had never heard before. Because for them, they just thought, okay, that's pretty crystal clear. Just as long as I don't kill anybody, I'm all right, okay? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you ever did that because that's kind of between you and God, okay? You're welcome at Mission Ebenezer Family Church, even if you have a, a tattered past, okay? It's all good, right? Aren't you glad that we have a forgiving God? Amen. Jesus says, you've heard it said that. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Let me slow that verse down real quick and not read that too quickly. Anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Man, so Jesus, remember they said Jesus is teaching something different. He's watering down the law. And Jesus actually comes, no, I'm actually here to turn up the heat a little bit because y'all think you're okay just because you haven't killed nobody, but you're talking mess about a lot of people behind their back. That's just as bad, Jesus says. So maybe you haven't put somebody six feet under, but what you have done in your head is you've already killed people off because of something that they said or did to you. Jesus says, that ain't right, and that ain't the way I operate. So Jesus says, I, I didn't come to, to abolish the law or the prophets. I actually came here to refine them by making sure that you and all of us are guided by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, which teaches us not just to not kill somebody, but how that we can love somebody, especially when they have wronged us. Now that, church, is countercultural and not anything that we could do on our own ability as physical human beings, limited people with emotions and experiences, but by the power of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we could live in such a way that demonstrates that there's a supernatural God at work within us that even though I should hate this person, I choose to love them because my God loved me when I hated him. So all of a sudden, they're sitting there listening to Jesus on the hill, and they're like, oh, man, I can't just check off the boxes anymore. I need to invite the Spirit of God to guide every decision of my life. And when I'm not right, I need to be made right in God. I can't just hide behind the law anymore. And say, well, I did what you asked me to do, right? It's kind of like uh, uh, the way that I was raised. I got my dad right here in the front row. So when I was a kid, right, my dad would say, all right, guys, turn off the TV Saturday morning, all right? It's time to wake up. You guys slept in already up till 6 a.m.? It's time to get up? No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that tough, but, you know, kind of close there, right? It's already 6.01. Come on, man. Get us up. Turn the TV off. Let's go. We're going to do some yard cleanup, right? And so I would, I would be like the rule follower, you know, like the people in, uh, that, that followed the law. My dad would go, okay, here's the job. Okay, we need the dog poop to get cleaned up. We need uh, this area over here. There's a lot of weeds and stuff. We need that to get picked up. And then all the cans and bottles over there, they're all messed up. We need to get those organized. So what would I do? Those exact things, right? Pick up the dog, 
poop, right? Clean up this little area, put the cans and bottles together. And then, uh, and then my dad would come out, are you done? Yep, I did exactly what you asked me to do. And, and then he goes, but you didn't notice that other area that's all messy over there? You could have already fixed that before. I don't have to tell you to do that, right? And I remember, well, I did what you asked me to do. And my dad's teaching to us was, that's not the point. The point is, open your eyes up. I gave you three exact tasks to do. You should have done three that I didn't ask you to do. If I went out there with the mindset of we're doing backyard cleanup, does that make sense? But some of us like to hide behind the three immediate exact directions, and as long as we do those, we're okay. God is saying, don't hide behind any law. Let the Spirit of God guide you because the Spirit of God will tell us when we're wrong. The Spirit of God will tell us when we need to change our heart. The Spirit of God will tell us when we need to change our mind. The Spirit of God will tell us when we've done too much or we haven't done enough. The Spirit of God will remind us right exactly where we are as long as we invite the Holy Spirit to make us right with God. Amen. So Jesus is teaching. It's not a new law. He's refining the law that they've always had by saying, be guided by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But the thing about it is we as people like control. And, and the, the way that we live out control is by laying things out written, right? Well, I want that written on paper. Right. And, and then that gives, OK, what's the plan? OK. And when you're dealing with somebody who loves to have a plan, don't tell them that you change the plan halfway through because they're going to be, well, we had a plan. Right. First of all, if there's anybody who really likes to follow a plan and it bothers you when a plan isn't followed, you probably would have chosen a different church by this time <laughs> because we are very spontaneous as a church. And our plan is always God have your way. And we have like five ideas as to what you might do, but he might have five brand new ideas. And we just want to be faithful to that, right? And that bothers some people because control gives us this false sense of thinking that we've got it all figured out when in reality ain't nobody got nothing figured out in our life. God always throws curveballs our way, and if all we hit is fastballs, then you're going to strike out real quick. Right? So all that to say, Jesus is saying, don't rely on what you've seen written down on a piece of paper for a really long time. I am with you, guiding you through every decision of your entire day. You may not have sin, but you shouldn't have said that to your son or daughter. You may not have sin, but when you had that thought, when you were having that conversation with your wife or your husband, that's a thought that I don't want you to have in your heart. We need to do away with that because you're a child of God. That's the Holy Spirit guiding us and leading us into his truth. Amen? But see, the thing about it is we get really defensive, right? Defensive. Right. Think about that. In fact, there's a story that I was told once that really, uh, really taught me something about how we live with sin and the law and instruction. Right. Because I remember, man, Pastor Joe, God bless him, wherever Pastor Joe is. I know he was he's leading, uh, making sure everything sounds good, looks good for us. Aren't you glad for Pastor Joe's leadership at our church? Man, Pastor Joe first showed up at Mission Ebenezer, I think, as like an 18 or 19-year-old Bible school student, and he had to do an internship, and we, 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 we kept him hostage ever since. I was like 11, 12 years old or something. He would teach our Sunday school on Sunday mornings, and that was how Pastor Joe first started here. It was when we were at the other side, not this location, but on the Main Street and Torrance Boulevard location. He, was our, he became our first youth pastor because we had youth leaders before, but he was our first youth pastor. And, man, I, I'm so glad that God gave him patience because I think about all the questions we used to ask as teenagers, and, man, God gave him like a spirit of grace and patience to let us ask all kinds of knucklehead questions. 
I'm not going to repeat some of the questions we used to ask, right? We used to have Krispy Kreme donuts and the Bible open, and then we just have conversation for a long time. And, and we would try to derail him, and he would get us back on track. And by the grace of God, we know a little bit about the Bible now. But I remember, like, the, nat- the nature of the questions we would ask as middle schoolers and high schoolers is like, well, Pastor Joe, if I do this, is that considered a sin? And if I go here, is that considered a sin? And if I think this, is that considered a sin? And we would have all these questions. We were trying to define the fence that, that, that's going to hold us in as the sheep, as the people of God, right? What, what are the fences, Pastor Joe? Tell us how far we could go before we're in trouble, right? Tell us how far we could go before we are out of alignment with God's will. And, and can, I could do this, but I can't do that, right? We'd be dating. And, and Pastor Joe, is that a sin to hold somebody's hand? No, it's not a sin to hold their hand. Well, is it a sin to kiss them? You know, he'd be like, well, it depends on what's going through your mind. And like, he was, he was good, man. You know, but is it a sin to do that? He'd be like, yeah, that's a sin. That's a sin. Don't be doing that, right? Right? And so, so we'd be asking all these questions like, you know, is it a sin and what can we do and all this kind of stuff. But uh, I heard a story once about, about a farmer, right? And I don't know if this story is true or not, but sometimes it doesn't matter as long as it's teaching us the right thing. Um, so, so there's a story about a farmer who, uh, who had a property that was close to a main road. And he started to realize that um, more and more, like every week, he was losing cattle because they were roaming onto the road and they were being hit by vehicles, and so the, the farmer was thinking to himself, man, I got to address this issue because that's a lot of money every time I lose one of those, you know, Angus beef cows, right? That's a lot of tri-tip and a, a lot of, a lot of um, uh, filet mignon that I'm losing right there when one of my cattle strays a little bit too far from our, our farm and then they, they put themselves in peril by trying to cross a road, right? And so the, the farmer said, okay, I have an idea. I'm going to build the fences bigger because I noticed that they, they started to breach the fences and I got to I got to fortify the fences. I got to build them higher. And that's the plan. And then another farmer came and, and listened to his problem and said, actually, I have an idea for you. And, and the farmer says, yeah, sure. I'm open to your idea. And he says, and it's a lot less expensive. He says, OK, well, what's your idea? He says, well, right now on your property, you have about 10 different watering holes that your cows are, are able to go to whenever they get thirsty. He says, the problem is because you have so many watering holes, they spread out way beyond the boundaries of your property. He says, instead of building higher and taller fences, he says, do away with nine of your watering holes and just make one big one right in the middle of your property. Your cattle will never stray too far from their source of life. And so the farmer, in fact, he didn't need to repair the fences anymore. In fact, he broke the fences down because as soon as they got rid of nine of those watering wells, the cattle never went too far away from what they knew was going to continue to refresh them and revive them and give them life and give them source of strength. And so they never wandered onto the road anymore once they realized they couldn't go too far from their source. Right? And I remember hearing that story and thinking to myself, that's powerful because in our lives as Christians, we often try to define the fences and it's like we're track runners. We just run around the inside of the fence just trying to test the boundaries when, when God's saying, stop worrying about defining the boundary when you really should just be pressing in to the center of your life, which is the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Right? 
It's, it, there's so many other analogies that, that we sometimes focus on, well, you know what, it, some of us have bad eating habits. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, sometimes I have bad eating habits, okay? And the thing about it is, I could either start saying, I got to stop eating this, and I got to stop eating that, and this is doing me, you know, this is doing me bad by, by, by going to these different things. But really, the way I should be thinking about it is, if I put the right things in my body first, I won't be as hungry and craving for the wrong things. And so rather than just focusing on what I shouldn't be doing, I should focus on what I should be doing, and I won't even have space, time, or energy to be wasting my time on the stuff that's not bringing me life, but's bringing me death. In other words, right, rather than saying, I got to stop doing all these different things, what we should say is, I need to start getting more of Jesus. I need to start spending more time in the Word of God. I need to start spending more time in my prayer life so that the Holy Spirit and I can get in tune. Because as long as I have the right stuff where it needs to be, I'm not going to have any room for the wrong stuff. Right? So Jesus is teaching them here in Matthew 5, and he's saying, you've heard it said, don't kill people. He said, let me take it just one step further and say, let the Holy Spirit guide you so that you don't even start thinking thoughts that would even lead you not just to killing somebody, but to, to rebuking somebody, hitting somebody, you know, uh, uh, getting to a place where we are treating somebody the way that God does not want us to treat others. Jesus says, I am teaching you, I'm going to take it a step further and say, don't even hate or be angry with somebody in that way, because in that way, that's already considered a sin. Everybody tracking so far? So Jesus is, he gives some pretty tough advice in this section of Matthew 5. I guarantee you that like after that first teaching on murder, right, and he says it's not just about murder, but it's about how you think about people and what you're trying to, what you say to them, uh, to their face or behind their back. I guarantee you there were some people who picked up and walked away during the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. They were like, this is a little too much. I don't know if I want to listen to a carpenter anymore. He didn't even go to Bible school. He didn't even grow up in Jerusalem, man. He was born in like some place called like Bethlehem or something. I don't, some place nobody ever heard of. Right? He's from over there in Nazareth. Man, what good comes out of Nazareth? I'm going to go back to Jerusalem where they know how to teach the word the right way. They had people walking away from Jesus, right? How many of us know that sometimes we get tempted when, when something's a little tough and challenging for us to kind of sit, you know, uh, make up our own rules so that we don't have to listen to it? Watch this. This is good and hard, but good. Verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, so in other words, that would be tantamount to bringing an offering to the Lord, worshiping together, right, here at church. Uh, he says, if you are coming to church, essentially, and you're getting ready to worship God, is what, is what Jesus is talking about. And there, you remember that your brother has something against you. Watch what Jesus says. This is kind of tough. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? Essentially, Jesus is saying, before you start singing that verse of that song, you recognize that there's something between you and somebody, one of your brothers or sisters, one of your family members, one of your friends. Before you start getting all holy, go and try to settle something with the person that you have a beef with. Isn't that, isn't that something that Jesus says? I hope you don't show up next Sunday, all of a sudden the music starts and then you go back to your car. Because you're like, dang, I forgot. I, I forgot to talk that conversation through with somebody. But essentially Jesus is saying, don't. Fake the funk and go through the motions if you got stuff that you need to wrestle with. Wrestle with those things first, and then your worship will be true. 
And then your heart will be pure. Somebody say amen. amen. So it's hard, but it's the word of God. Right? He even gives some practical advice here. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's, who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with them on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth. You will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is essentially saying, work things out to the best of your ability. Now, I want to I share something that, that is something that I've learned over time of just trying to figure out how to be right with God and right with relationships. The word reconciliation. Somebody say reconciliation. reconciliation. It's a beautiful word. Reconciliation means to reconcile, which means to bring back together something that was torn apart or taken apart. So to reconcile right, is to come back together. Now, I want you to hear me saying this morning that reconciliation is not something one person can do, right? Whenever there's a rift, whenever there's some, a breach, whenever there's a division, it, one person cannot be responsible for the reconciliation, okay? It takes two parties to be able to say, we want to reconcile this relationship, this friendship. You cannot reconcile something on your own. But what we can control is having a reconciling spirit. It sounds like I need to say that one again because it got real quiet as soon as I said that. It was, people were like, huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> a reconciling spirit means you can't control whether or not the other person is ready to make things right with you, but you can control whether or not you're ready to do your part to be led by the Spirit of God to make sure you're not harboring something that shouldn't be there because if you do do that, you're not going to be able to get to a place where God will receive your worship until you figure out what it means to have a heart that's right with God. So you can't do it on your own, but you can control what you're willing to put into the effort. Does that make sense? Reconciliation. So that's ultimately what Jesus is teaching there. Then he goes on in verse 27 and following to talk about adultery. Somebody say, uh-oh. Somebody say, uh-oh. Uh-oh. So Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman or a man lustfully has already committed adultery with her or him in their heart. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. He says, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I bet you after Jesus said that, another group of people got up and walked away. Like, oh, man, I was hanging with him through the murder thing, but now he got to go into all this. Man, he's too much. But what's Jesus teaching us here? He's essentially saying, don't let your life get to the point where you are so tempted to live out these actions that are against God's law and God's rules. In fact, cut it where it starts. Don't even allow the thoughts to enter your mind so that you could remain pure and right before God. In other words, what does that mean? That means that we need to develop a discipline as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. The moment even a thought comes into our heart or our mind that would cause us to be led astray, rather than entertaining that thought, we need to rebuke that thought in Jesus' name and say, Lord, give me the power to allow this unholy thought to be dismissed from my mind and my heart so that I could be right with you. Jesus is saying, don't even let it fester. Don't even think about it. Don't even entertain it. Does that make sense? 
Let me give you an example. That means like if you got a coworker and, and you're married and all of a sudden you got a coworker of the opposite sex and they happen to be nice and friendly and they like listening to you when you talk and you might be having some problems at home where you might not be in the best place and not be communicating the way you should be communicating and all of a sudden you get to work and this other person is smiling at you and listening to you and making you laugh and telling jokes and all of a sudden you begin to feel like, uh-oh, th- this is a nice connection. I haven't had this connection in a long time. I wonder what this would be like. There's nothing wrong. We're just working together. We haven't gone out on a date. We haven't slept together. We we haven't done all these different things. But the moment you begin or I begin to feel a connection or an attraction in that particular way, I got to say, Lord, I am a married man. I have committed myself to Andrea Maria Meza Canales. She is my wife. That means that in that moment, if there's ever that moment, I got to say, Lord, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to be faithful husband. If there's something that's at home, that's causing me to be drawn into this other friendship, then I need to make sure I repair what's at home rather than investing in that other thing that might be brewing up. Amen? Because first it starts out with text messages. Then it starts out with staying five minutes after work and talking a little longer. Then it starts with hanging out in the parking lot after you're walking out, getting ready. And then it goes, and then it continues to go. Jesus is saying, don't even let it get to that point. Right? Jesus is saying, do the hard thing. What's the hard thing? To be right with God. Right? What does that mean? Sometimes we need to bring somebody in. Maybe we need a trusted brother or a sister that we have who loves the Lord, who's going to give us good advice and wisdom to say, hey, I'm having a little bit of this struggle. Can you help me out? Pray with me and hold me accountable. Yes, I will. The problem is whenever we start to gravitate towards sin, we don't want nobody to know about it. Right? And we want to cut everybody, we want to cut everybody out, especially the ones that we know are going to ask us questions. Start avoiding them, right? When in reality, it's like, no, God puts people and these systems into place for a reason. It's because he loves us and he doesn't want us dealing with the heartache and the heartbreak of all the junk that comes along with just being a little bit undisciplined in our lives. Amen? So before it goes anywhere, it's important to say, Lord, why is this happening? Is it because I'm running away from something that I need to actually repair? Then let me go repair that thing. That way we can start running home with the same enthusiasm that we were trying to stay late in the parking lot for. Amen? And it's hard to do that work, church. Let me tell you, 14 years married. It's not 45, Pop, but 14 years married. Okay? And it's hard, but it's a beautiful thing when we look at each other eye to eye and work through all the hard things. Guess what? Our love for each other grows even bigger the more stuff we've gone through together. Amen? Okay? We're not perfect. We've gone through our challenges and our struggles. We're we're normal just like you, right? But the, the thing that I'm thankful for is the presence of the Holy Spirit working at us, right? Working in me. I know for me, when Drea brings something up and all of a sudden that like flesh nature in me gets a little defensive, right? I start sweating like from the top of my forehead. It starts working its way down, right? My heart starts to pump. I feel like I want to tackle somebody, right? I'm not going to tackle her, okay? That's none of your business, all right, church? Man, mind your own business. Okay, so but I start feeling that, that feeling and all of a sudden I know that she probably said something that I need to hear, and I need to figure out how to respond in a way that's not the flesh Koba, but it's the Son of God Koba. Right? And I say, all right, Lord, help me out. And then, and then man, it takes everything in me, every, all, every ounce in my body to be able to say, I'm sorry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try better. 
I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try better. All right. And then, and then she goes, "Okay, I forgive you." Right. And then, you know, Fourth of July, it's on. Fireworks. Amen. Okay, so he goes in through a section on, on divorce, right? And, and I'm not going to dive too deep here because I know this is a challenging topic for a lot of folks. But essentially what he's teaching on here is, is essentially saying, hey, don't go through that process lightly. There might be moments and situations in somebody's life where you are physically or emotionally abused consistently. And it is not, uh, uh, it is not fair for somebody to go through that kind of thing consistently. I would say first things first, go through counseling and try therapy to make sure you try to work things out and if you've done everything you can and you're continued to be placed in a situation where you are unsafe then I believe in all my heart that it's okay for you to have hard conversations about whether or not that is the right or a toxic relationship some people might disagree with me, but what I would say is too often in the church, people have tried to stick it out in a, in a situation that has caused a lot of pain in one direction because they're trying to follow an example that says that you cannot even think about the word divorce. And what I would say is don't go there. Don't throw the word around. Don't threaten each other with the word. Try everything you can to reconcile. But if somebody is unsafe, you do not need to be in an unsafe situation for a really long period of time. And the reason why I'm sharing that with you right now is because that's the Spirit of God guiding me to share that word with you. Does that make sense? Okay, because I've seen a lot of people abused because they're trying to follow what somebody taught them in Scripture. When in reality, Jesus don't want nobody to be trampled on for year after year after year after year. That ain't right. And if you're the one doing the trampling, then that ain't right either. you got to get your life right. And then more people got up and left the crowd as Jesus was teaching. Aren't you glad I'm the one talking about this and not Jesus directly? Because I can kind of soften the blow a little bit, right? But imagine being Jesus, the one teaching this, and you're like, oh, man. And, and I believe Jesus was looking out for women when he said that because women in the first century were not treated as equal to men, right? And I know that's still not the case today, but it's much better today than it was back then. And Jesus was looking out for them. He's saying, you can't just treat her however you want to treat her. She's your wife. You treat her with respect. People never heard that before because men thought they could do whatever they want in that day. So Jesus was already challenging those gender roles and norms and saying, hey, just because she's your wife, she's not your property. Treat her with respect. That's who God gave you. Work things out with her. Don't you love how Jesus is always, always stretching things out a little bit and challenging things? Okay, so, man, we can go on for a long time, but we're running short on time. So I'm going to quickly go through the last few sections. The next section he talks about oaths. I like this one, right? Because how many of us, you know, when, when, you're, when you're younger or even now, you're trying to convince somebody of something and they don't believe you. So then you start saying, man, I swear on my mom. Or I swear on this and swear on that. And you start swearing on all kinds of stuff. And Jesus is telling them, hey, when you're making a promise to somebody, don't start throwing all kinds of people up in there. Leave your mom and your grandma and God, Jesus, leave them all out of it. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? He says, just do it. Right? Just do it. Just, just do the right thing. Don't be saying, well, I, hey, man, I promise you, man, you know, this, that. And Jesus is like, if you said it, do it. Right? Amen? And let me just, let me just like stay on that one for like at least one more minute. 
Because I think in this culture that we live in, in this generation that we're in right now, communication failure is a significant component of people being immature and undisciplined in their lives by not knowing how to communicate clearly and consistently. You have somebody who said they were going to be somewhere and all of a sudden they don't show up. And that's like normal these days. Right? The way I grew up was if you can't make it, make sure you let somebody know that you can't make it. Especially if you told them you were going to be there. Right? Be a man or a woman of your word. Right? And don't be hiding behind something. Right? I know somebody's like, you need to have a good conversation and then you text somebody. Like communication breakdowns in our culture today. If you need to have a conversation, have a conversation. Your thumbs can only do so much. Right? Communication breakdown. Right? And, and, and if you intentionally decided to not communicate something to somebody, don't start hiding from them the next day just because you forgot to give them a call back or you forgot to, to reach back out to them. Right? Be the one to initiate it and be responsible and mature and communicate the way you need to communicate to your wife, to your husband, to your kids. Right? First of all, okay, man, I'm, I said one minute. I'm going on two minutes on this one. First of all, don't make promises you can't keep. How about that? Is that all right? Can we start there? Because I'm telling you, I got an eight-year-old boy who likes to remind me of everything I told him for sure we were about to do. What, well, Dad, you said. How many of you heard that before? You said, right? And I got to remind him. Sometimes I got to put it in writing like, hey, man, this is what I said. I said, if you get your room cleaned, right, and you do all these things, then we could play Minecraft for a little while. But, but Dad, you said, this, that's what I said. Okay, and you haven't done those things, so we haven't done it yet. Okay, I'm reminding you because he likes to remind me what I said, and I like to remind him what I said. But hey, amen. I know it's tough, he's challenging me. So, all that to say is be careful the promises that we make, right? How many of you know it's better not to promise something and to deliver on it than to promise something and not to deliver, right? That's why I always, whenever I take my kids somewhere, I surprise them. And then finally, they, 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 they revolted, man. They came together. They had a protest in the living room. They said, Dad, we don't like surprises. <laughs> and I said, well, too bad, because when I surprise you, I'm keeping my word, because I didn't give you no word. I didn't tell you what we were doing and where we were going. I got to protect myself. Okay, so be careful what you promise. All right? Is that all right? Be careful what you promise, and let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Okay? Amen. He says, eye for an eye. He teaches on that one. This is a good teaching. Study that one at home. I know we don't have time to unpack that one. But essentially what Jesus is saying here is we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world. When we get punched, we want to punch back with 150% of the force that we received. And Jesus is saying, instead, turn the other cheek. Show them how strong you are. Right? Jesus is saying, he's not telling you to be a doormat. But what he's saying is have enough confidence in God, right, have enough confidence in the Lord that you're not quick to go try to get revenge. God does that. God does that. Amen? Right, that, that demonstrates a, a, a tremendous amount of strength and power when somebody does something to you and you respond with kindness, with grace, with love, and with compassion, and with firmness when it's needed, Right? That don't mean you need to take it and keep your mouth shut, right? You can say, hey, what you just did to me was very hurtful, but I want to tell you something. I'm not going to return that to you because that's not the way God wants me to operate. I'm going to love you still no matter what you just said to me right now. And they're going to be like, dang, 
They got something in them that I don't got. What is that? Jesus, a Holy Spirit at work within me. Amen? So you don't need to be a doormat, but we also want to be sure that we're leaving room for God to do his uh, duty, which is to make sure that those who have wronged us, they'll get what they need according to what God wants for them. But more than anything, we can model for them the love of Jesus, right? We sin, and Jesus died on the cross. That's not fair. Guess what? He's calling us to return the same thing to those who have sinned against us. Amen? Is that all right? It's hard, but it's the word of God. Another group of people got up and left at that point, right? They're like, I can't deal with that, man. I, no way. I'm an MMA fighter, man. Somebody, they slap me, they're going to get a, you know, submission. Right. Don't get me wrong. I, I get that feeling every once in a while, but I got I to gotta say, Lord, help me. I don't want to go to jail. That'll be embarrassing, man. The church will be looking at the Daily Breeze, be like one of the pastors in Mission Ebenezer Family Church, knocked the guy out at Arco because he took his spot at the gas line, and now he's in jail. Yeah, special offering. I'd be, I'm not even kidding. You think I'm kidding, too. I wish I could tell you I was playing, but I'd be praying sometimes, like, Lord, help me out, because I don't want to go to jail and be a bad witness on my family and my church. Help me, Lord. I want to punch this dude right now, right? Help me, Lord. Help me, Jesus. And, and women? Okay, dang. See, I'd be trying to mind my own business when we go places. And then Dre will be like, hey, this dude over here said this to Joseph. I'm like, why you got to tell me that? Because, you know, once you tell me, it's going to do something to me. And, like, I got to settle it. Like, to me, I don't like leaving things hang like that. Some of you like to be all quiet about it. And for me, I walk right to the person, right? And I'm like, I'm not going to start nothing with you, but I also don't want you talking to my son a particular way. So make sure you never talk to him like that or anybody. Don't even talk to your son like that. Right? Who are you telling me how to act? I'm just somebody in, that happened to bump up against you today. Right? And I had to be, Lord, I don't, wanna, I don't want to. I just want to help me, Jesus. Help me, Lord. Man, and so far, God has miraculously helped. But but I hear Brother Mario over here saying amen, oh, because I know we talk about this a lot. Woo! Jesus, man. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Right? He meets us right where we are, knowing what we struggle with, but, and yet he's trying to make us more like him. Okay? And that ain't easy, right? It ain't easy to become more like Jesus and less like us. Amen? Okay, last thing. Love for your enemies. Verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies. Somebody say, love your enemies. Oh, man, so, so anybody that was still left at that teaching on the Sermon on the Mount when he said love your enemies was like, all right, man, I've had enough. It's getting late out here. It's hot up here in Palestine. Man, this, 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 uh, this desert sand and stone is working on my patience. They were gone. They whittled it down to 12. That's just, and, and even Judas was trying to back out. He's, I, don't know how he's, I don't know how he hung in there, but, man. Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your... Notice that Jesus doesn't say pretend to love your enemies. Jesus doesn't say put on a front to make it look like you love your enemies. Jesus didn't say just don't talk bad about your enemies to their face. Jesus didn't say uh, 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 just don't wish any evil on your enemies. Jesus, Jesus said love. Somebody say love. love. 
You know what love means? You know what love means? It definitely don't mean tolerate. There's a big difference between tolerate and love. I don't tolerate my children. I love my children. I don't tolerate my wife, even though she might tolerate me sometimes. I love my wife. I'm just kidding. She loves me too. Okay, love your enemies means we say, Lord, I can't do it. And the Lord's like, I know you can't, but I can give you the power to do it. Love your enemies, Jesus says. And pray for those who persecute you. Oh, man, that'll be, if, if we want spiritual maturity, here we go. There's a verse right there to commit to memory, right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, okay? If we can allow God to get us to that space, man, we have come a long way in our walk with Jesus, okay? Because the name of the game in the world that we live in is individualism and selfishness. And if God could teach us how to love those who hate us and pray for those who persecute us, Man, we are very close to walking right behind the dust that comes up from the ground that Jesus kicks up when he walks on his way. Right? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If we love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. So be perfect, therefore, and by the way, perfect in this passage can also mean mature, okay, mature. So Jesus is saying be perfect or be mature, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect or mature. So he's saying continue to grow, right? Don't stay childish. Jesus is saying continue to grow. All right. Man, you hung in there. Look at that. Look around. Most people stayed. Look at that. Praise God. Man. God is good. That was a miracle right there. I gave you a lot of reasons to run to the car today. But, but, but by the grace of God, amen? The spirit of God is at work in us, amen? Can't hide behind the law, okay? We got to be led by the Holy Spirit, okay? Can't say, oh, I did that. That's all I was supposed to do. The Lord's always going to say, yeah, but what about this? And, all right, Lord, I'll do that one too. My bad. Amen? And then we continue to grow. Would you stand this morning, church? As we get ready to, um, to bring our time to a close this morning, it's been a blessing to be in God's presence today. The Word of God has been challenging yet refreshing at the same time. At least it has been for me. I hope so for you as well. God is good. Sitting under the, the, the tutelage of Jesus, right? Stretching us and challenging us. Man, the way I see it is you cannot interact with Jesus and leave the same. Cannot interact with Jesus and leave the same. Right, And I'm thankful that today I believe we as a church are getting better. We're getting more mature. We're being challenged to be more like him. We're being able to recognize when I'm leaning too much into my own flesh response and less into the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So would you join me just as we get ready to close? I want you just to open up your, your hands in a posture of surrender. right? Because essentially we recognize that we can't do all the things we just read about by holding on to stuff. If we got animosity, if we got burdens, if we got anger, we got hatred, we got wounds, we're not going to be able to hold on to those and also receive the blessing and the transformation that God wants for each of us. Something's got to go. Somebody say something's got to go. I don't know about you, but I don't want the blessing of God to go. I don't want the spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit to go. 
I don't want my growth and transformation to go. I would rather let my pride go. I would rather let my mistakes go. I would rather let my selfishness go. I would rather let my, 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 my lack of ability to change and transform go as opposed to letting go all the things that God wants to do in my life. I don't know about you, but if you want to surrender today, if you want to surrender that to the Lord today, right there where you are, just repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I surrender everything I'm holding on to. I know it's not easy, but I want your spirit to guide me every day, in every way, in my thoughts and in my deeds. Have your way in me. Forgive me when I'm wrong. Teach me to be right and to listen to you. Forgive me for running from you when I knew I needed you. Make me more like you and less like me. Have your way in me. Do a complete work in me from head to toe. I am yours. I can't do it on my own. And I need your strength. Work in me, Lord. And work through me so that I might represent you in everything I do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.